blessed to have Brother Dennis Everson to uh, minister to us. Dennis uh, really did a wonderful job in the interim before uh, we came to be your pastors and, and uh, held things together and God used him. So he's going to come and, and minister the word and I want you just to to listen and be blessed as our brother comes. Brother Dennis. Let's welcome him. Love you, brother. I got the cordless. Well, when uh, Pastor came, I gave him a copy of a tape of a couple sermons I preached well, during the interim time, but he's still letting me preach tonight, so... <laughs> So that's uh, mercy or is that grace? I'm not sure which one, but uh, falls in that category. I'm thankful for some of our friends that were able to come tonight. There's uh, Jennifer over there. Hi, Jennifer. She's an evangelical college student. She's helped us out, house-sitting our house. And let us use her video recorder to get some of that rare footage of our, our famous little baby that's uh, a year old tomorrow. And uh, Sylvia's sister's here. And then there's uh, uh, Trent and Jeanette snuck in there. Little tardy, but they made it. <laughs> uh, Trent's uh, Trent's going to help me out, save some money on some insurance. Anybody needs some good insurance, man? He's the man to talk to you right there. And uh, Terry and James, there, they're helping out the church with the the lawnmower that we have that's trying to die, but he's going to resurrect it. To, uh, work some of his, and and they were there. Uh, they visited us just a day or two before Clayton was born. Stopped by and. Dropped off an engine, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, that's where we got our car from that we're using today, and they've blessed us and all of our friends in so many ways. It's good to have Christian friends, isn't it? Yeah. And they came to help us celebrate uh, Clayton's birthday today. And uh, Pastor did me the favor of uh, preaching my sermon for me this morning, at least half of it anyway. Uh, his second point this morning on the thought life is what my sermon is about tonight. And as I was thinking of titles for the sermon, I thought, well, a penny for your thoughts might be a good one. Yeah. Um, say, uh, what are you thinking about, or something like that, but uh, I've decided to go with, uh, where are you and what are you doing, is the title of my sermon tonight, where are you and what are you doing, and if I was to ask everybody here that question right now, you'd say, well, I'm at Westport Assembly of God, and I'm waiting to eat, or, well, I'm listening to Dennis preach for a few minutes, so that might be your answer, And, and if I took you to a court of law, and you stood before the judge, and I tried to say, no, that's not where you were, and that wasn't what you were doing, it'd be hard for me to prove that this isn't where you are and that's not what you're doing. But yet, it may not be where you are, and it may not be what you're doing. Definitely not listening to me right now, because Clayton walked up here, so you're watching him. But where you are and what you're doing is where you are in your mind and in your thoughts. And in your in your mind right now, you may be somewhere totally other than where you are sitting right now, where your body is. Uh, you may be at the beach. You may be cooking dinner. You may be downstairs in the fellowship hall already enjoying the meal that's down there. You may be uh, at home watching TV or relaxing and reading a good book. You may be many different places. You may be doing many different things, even during the worship service tonight. You could say, well, I was praising God. I was singing songs to the Lord. Well, you may have been singing Jesus is all I need while you were at home working on your car. You may have been the words may have been coming out. You may have been standing there, maybe even clapping your hands, but you could have been somewhere totally different. You could have been doing something totally other. 
And probably everybody here, if we flashed all your thoughts up during the worship time, you wouldn't want me to do that right now because you would admit that there were times even during the worship service tonight that you drifted away and you went somewhere else. We may call it daydreaming or uh, whatever we may call it, but our thoughts took us away. How many times have we gone to uh, where someone would go to lead in prayer and we'd close our eyes and bow our heads and suddenly we weren't in that prayer anymore. We were somewhere else. We were The prayer was already finished and we were continuing on some other task somewhere. And so I think it's an appropriate title for the sermon uh, this evening is Where Are You and What Are You Doing? And it's something that we can think about all our, our lives and in every area of our lives. Pastor brought up some of the scripture verses this morning that gave us something to Think about things like, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, it's something that is uh, commanded in the Word, and it's something that's very important to Jesus, because he said that's the first commandment. And that involves our mind, our thought life. Where is your thought life? You see, there's a war going on. Right now, even in this place, every day of our lives, there's a war going on. And, you know, when we think about the war between the devil and God and the the, the fighting that goes on, we often think, well, they're after my soul, you know. They're, they're trying, uh, the, God's trying to bring me to heaven and the devil's trying to bring me down to hell. And, and certainly that's going to be the final outcome in it, but the battle is really for your mind. The battle is for your thought life because if Satan can get a victory in your thought life, the rest is going to fall into place. Even, even in one of the songs that we sang, it talked about how uh, the devil has come and told you that God's not going to answer your prayer. But God will answer your prayer. That's what the devil does. He comes in. And I don't want to get into a bunch of the ideas of, well, can the devil plant thoughts in your minds or how does it all work? But what happens is, is he does come in and in some way, somehow, try to get us to think about things that will draw us away from the Lord. Try to get us to think about things that will make us feel, for some, he'll say, you're not worthy to receive anything from God. You're not, you're not holy enough. You're not good enough. And we can spend years of our lives. There are people that are Christians that never do anything for God, that never go anywhere with God, that never have a closeness with God because they believe the lie of the devil, that they're not good enough, that, that they can't receive, that God doesn't love them. And it's just a lie of the devil. And he can win that victory in our thought life. And if he wins the victory in our thought life, he'll win the victory in all of our life because that's where it all begins. After all, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's how we fight the fight Here. in this battle. That's, that's how the battle is won when you have two politicians going. Right. And they both want you to vote for them. Where, does it, where is the battle fought? It's in your thought life. It's not in truth and in reality. Because in truth and reality, there's some we would have never voted for. But somehow in the thought life, the people would say, okay, well, he's good enough to vote for. I'll vote for him. Somehow in the thought life, they're able to get a victory and they think, well, this person will make things better for me. I don't care about any of the other stuff. And so that's where the battle is being fought and that's where... We have to learn how to have that victory. And Pastor brought out uh, some very good points this morning when he was talking about it. And I told him, I said, well, you already preached my sermon for me. But he said, well, you can expound on it a little bit. So we'll go a little bit deeper into it then, I guess, tonight. Or look at, rather, a little different aspect uh, as far as that battle. Let's start in Romans, chapter 1. And don't worry, I only got about 10 scripture verses for you this evening. So we'll take you on a brief tour of your Bible. Just in case you haven't been there for a while, you get to tour it tonight. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. This is, this is uh, talking about where it all began, really. And, and we'll look at the actual events in just a moment. Romans 1, 20 through 25 says, For since the creation of the world... How many of you know that's pretty much in the beginning there? Creation of the world. Okay, just checking to make sure you're still with me. Uh, 
since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that man, men are without excuse. So here we see that even from the beginning of creation, God's qualities have been clearly seen. You can look at creation, you can look at the wonder, the detail that God took to the smallest, I mean, that they don't even have microscopes powerful enough to go as small as God's taken the detail to create. As a matter of fact, man even in his thought life tries to imagine some of the things that are there and how it's all held together and, and they can't even figure it all out. You know, they think they can, but every time they get a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller, they find out there's still more there. And then look at how vast and big it is. They can't even see. The most powerful telescopes they have can't even see. It's vast. That's everything that God made. And the more they learn, the more they look out there, the more they find out that they don't understand. And so it, the, the qualities of God have been made clear. The power of God, the greatness of God, the, the unity of God. You look at how all, all things hold together and, and the way he made the little economic uh, systems uh, uh, in, in ecology where all the different creatures are there and it all just works together and they all have their place. And, it's just amazing, the beauty of God. And so it's been clearly seen, and so men are without excuse. In verse 21 it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although, lost where I was for a minute. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for degrading their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. And here we see that what happened was in their thinking, it said in verse 21, it says, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And because of their thinking going astray, because they left God, even though he was clearly seen, his glory, and their thinking, they started to change who God was, and they started to recreate God in their mind, and they made images. Now, what this is talking about idols, of course, the images that they actually formed, but first that image was made in their mind. And they started making images in their mind of who God was, and we can go around the world today, and you can ask any person in the world, and there are some that claim that there are no gods, but even they have recreated God into an image, an image of nothing. But any person you talk to can give you their version of who God is. And we all have a little bit different version of who God is. And in those versions, if we stray away from who God really is, what God did with these people is he gave them over to their sinful desires because they, they left that truth of God. They, they put it outside the reality of how God was revealing himself, and there it was in creation. Now, thank God, we have the Bible that we can go to where God reveals himself through us. Thank God for the written word. Yes. And isn't that one of the most powerful things we have in overcoming yes. these lies of the devil and these exactly. thoughts that aren't from him? How important it is to, for us to read us. It's a shame that so often we have to struggle to be able to even read the word, to find the time to do it, to find the motivation to do it. To uh, So often, I don't, have anybody else had struggles in your life at times with that? I know I have. And it's a shame because it is the thing that we have that truly reveals God for who He is. Rather than the traditions of men, rather than the teachings of men, it's, it's through that Word. And let's look at how it all began. And in uh, Genesis chapter 3, look there, it's such a familiar story. We really don't even 
have to turn there if we didn't want to because you'd all be so familiar with it. But let's take a look at what happened in Genesis chapter 3. So I just want to lay out the groundwork for this battle before we get into how we fight it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and following, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so here already, here the serpent's coming in, and he's starting his lies. We're all familiar with that. Starting to get her thought life aside from what God had said. God said you can eat of all the trees except for the one, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So already he's trying to twist it. He's saying, well, God said you couldn't eat of any of them, huh? What's up with that? That's one of Sylvia's sayings, isn't it? What's up with that? Yeah. Trying to get his thought life aside. So now Eve is starting to think. Wait a minute. Yeah, what? Why is God telling me not to eat of something? And, of course, he keeps going on. And she's, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. So here she's saying, Well, no, we can eat of the fruit, but, you know, God did say something about not eating of this. I wonder why he said that. You know, I wonder why God said that. And he's got her thinking now. Yeah, there's something. God's keeping something from you, you know? It's something good, something good. Isn't that what he starts to go on to say? He says, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Shazam! Here's, here's the lie. Here's the thought now. She's thinking about it. Why, why did God say I can't eat of it? Well, here, I got an answer for you. Because when you eat of it, you're going to be like him. You're going to be like God. So she takes a look at it. She says, in verse 6, it says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. See, Satan won a victory in her thought life, because she looked at the fruit and said, It's good for food. How did she know it was good for food? If she never ate it? If, if I dropped you off into the middle of the rainforest, and you saw some fruit-type thing that you've never seen before, would you just take a big handful of that and eat it? I wouldn't advise it, because it may be poisonous, it may kill you. As a matter of fact, she knew it wasn't good for food, because God told her, you're going to die. But now, in her mind, she has decided, it's good to eat. It's good to eat. Oh, and it's so pleasing to look at. Oh, it's so pretty. Do you really think that God made all the other fruit ugly, and just the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil? was the most beautiful fruit in the garden. I bet you there was a lot of other fruit. You look out today, there's a lot of fruit that looks good. It's pleasing to the eye. And they've probably eaten some of these other trees. They already know that's good for food, but somehow that thought life has already gone astray in her mind, and she's saying, okay, it's good for food, it's pleasing to the eye, and it's desirable for gaining wisdom. And right there, Satan won the victory because now she's thinking wisdom is from the tree where, where, what's the beginning of wisdom? Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. She stood up and said, said no, I'm afraid to touch that tree because God said I'm going to die when I eat of it. That would have been wisdom. The wisdom was right there for her to grasp that she wanted wisdom. No, that tree was only knowledge. It was the destruction of wisdom. It was the end of wisdom. But in her thought life, she says, good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, I'm going to take and eat. Look what happens. 
just a few verses, verse uh, chapter 6, a few chapters. Chapter 6, why did God destroy the earth with a flood? Was it because men were doing bad things? Is that why? Was it because he was just having a bad hair day and he figured he'd take it out on the world? Why did God destroy the world with a flood? You may think you know the answer, but let's take a look and see if you did. Uh, chapter 6, verse uh, 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And it grieved God that he made man on the earth, and so he decides to send a flood. You see why he sends the flood? He says, yeah, they're, they're wicked. And the problem is, every inclination of the thought of their heart is on evil all the time. Their thoughts are consumed with evil. Here we went from just this one thought, the fruit's good to eat, pleasing to the eye, going to gain some wisdom, let's take and bite. Now all of a sudden, all of mankind's thoughts are turned over to evil all the time, continually. And so God destroys the earth with a flood. You think, good, now he's got Noah, he's got his kids, it's going to be righteous now, everybody's going to be thinking good thoughts, it's going to be great. Look at uh, Genesis uh, chapter 8 and verse 21. Let's see what God says about it. We remember uh, Noah made a sacrifice after the flood, and God was pleased with it, and we know about the rainbow and the promise that God made not to destroy the earth. In verse 21 it says, The Lord smelt the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. Even though, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. You see that? There's still a problem here. <laughs> okay? There's still a problem. But God's saying, okay, now I'm not going to wipe them out anymore. God had another plan. God had another idea of what he did, was going to do. And it's similar to the flood concept in that Noah was rescued even though the rest was destroyed. Now there's that rescue through Jesus who is our ark that's able to take us above. Now that plan is where he's going to change our hearts. As a matter of fact, uh, let's take a look in Hebrews chapter 4. This is God's new plan. He says, we still got a problem. Every inclination of the heart is still on evil. I'm not going to destroy the earth. And of course, I'm not saying God changed his mind and came up with a new plan. This is what he is planning all along with the seed that he talked about with Roman during the curse. Where he said the seed was going to bruise serpent's head. Uh, the serpent was going to bruise the seed's heel and it would crush his head. It was a plan he always had in effect, but in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, this is what God is going to do and has done. Verse 12, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. There's a battle that had to be fought. There's a war where Satan was winning some little battles here, so winning some little victories here, getting fought lives, right? And he's, he's got a pretty good hold on mankind. Every inclination of their heart is on evil all the time. So God says we're going to send down a weapon that's living, that's active, a weapon that's more powerful than any sharp sword. It can, devoid, it can divide even the joints and the marrow. It can, it can take your bone and marrow and separate it. It can separate the thoughts 
and the attitudes of your heart. And it can, it can come in and, and, and divide that and, and separate it and show you what right thinking is, show you what right living is, show you how to change your mind. Pastor talked about this morning, not being conformed anymore to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's the way God is working out salvation in our hearts, is that renewing of that mind, that faith that comes by hearing and that hearing by the word of the Lord. And the devil's been fighting for so long, trying to come in and win victories in our lives, victories in this church. They'll come in in small churches. He loves to do that. You're too small. You can't do anything. You don't have any growth. You're not effective. You're not doing anything for the Lord. If God brings you into a church, you stay there until God brings you out of the church. It has to be God. So often, we go and decide what church we're going to, and then we go and decide when we're going to stay, when we're going to leave, and we see that so much in this town. People hop from church to church to church to church to church. You know, a good example would be um, of someone doing it the right way would be Corey and Jeanette. They came in. They felt God brought them to this church. They came and stayed until God brought them somewhere else. They left with the blessings of the church, with the family, uh, with the blessings of the pastor, because they knew that God was calling them to another place. But see, what, what Satan wants to do is he wants to tell you, well, it's just not going good enough there. You know, the pastor's not doing things right. The board's not doing things right. The worship leader's not singing it right. It's not going the way it should go. You need to go somewhere else. Or, or it's, it's a little better over here. Let's go over here. The grass is always greener on the other side. That's kind of what with Eve. She said, oh, that food, that fruit looks good to eat. Well, the other food was good to eat, too. Somehow it looked a little greener. Sometimes the grass looks greener on the other side because of all the weeds. You know, weeds are green too sometimes. But that's what the devil tries to do. That's what he does in marriages. Comes in and starts to tell him, well, you know, she don't love you anymore. Oh, he's just not the same he used to be. He's just... And starts to come in and starts to bring division. He'll get you to worry. Husband, wife, child's out longer than they were supposed to be. They're driving. The trip's taking longer. All of a sudden your mind... Is thinking about all these terrible things. Oh, there's this accident. Oh, they, you know, this happened. Oh, they got sick. Or all these thoughts are going, and you're so worried, and you're so consumed with this worry, to where you're not effective in anything else. Or maybe it's with anger. Somebody does something to you, and you start to think about this and and dwell on it. And you get so angry, and it just festers inside of you. And suddenly, the day is over, and you accomplish nothing because all you've done was thought about how angry you were at what that person did. And Satan stole that day from you. Satan stole that hour from you. Satan stole that time from you, that joy from you, that peace from you. By getting your thoughts to go astray. And that's where the battle is won. And the sword, the weapon that we have to fight this, is the Word of God. This is the place to turn. This is the place to look. And when things look little in our sight, and we start to judge on the outward, God says, you got to look on the inside. you you got to look at what's happening. Like we talked about, where are you and what are you doing? I can look out here and I can say, well, you're all sitting here and most of you are awake and maybe you're listening to me. You might not be. You might be somewhere, totally somewhere else. You may look at the circumstances and they may look dark and dreary and it's just nothing's going right. But yet God's bringing you to a place where everything's falling right into place because all things work together for good to those that love God who are called according to His purpose. See, it's the Word of God that shows us what's really happening. In our lives. It's the Word of God that's able to, to keep us on that right path. Yes, and amen. Let's take a look for just a second in the, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. This guy's not too bad a preacher. I told you we'd take a little tour here. But I want you to see I how did. important this is. I learned that. That it runs throughout the Word of God. I haven't done the Ephesians chapter 4. I made it. I made it here. I can 
can share this with Verses uh, 11 through 18. This is, you know, the date doesn't matter, but it's the It was he who gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Right. And here we are very familiar, I'm sure, with this passage. As a matter of fact, I think I've preached on this passage here before about Christ giving the apostles and the pastors and the, training us to do the works of service, bringing us to a unity of a knowledge of Jesus Christ, bringing that, that unity. Where, where does the unity in the body of Christ come from? Through the Holy Spirit, uh, through working together comes in our thought lives, doesn't it? Because if we're all thinking the same way, we're going to be acting the same way, we're going to be doing... Where does the vision come from? Where do all the different denominations come from? All the different groups come from? All the different sects come from? Not sex. Sex. Okay. Come from, just make sure everybody's paying attention and lose anybody there. It's, it's a unit of Where do they all come from? It's, it's in their like thought lives, isn't it? Because they're making God into a... understand that. Hi, Sylvia. Making God into a certain image in their mind, and then they form an organization over it. They form a group over it. They form uh, whatever it is so that others that have that same image of God can get together. That's one area where we would really have a lot of discussion and a lot of different views is if we started talking about the end times and when everything's going to happen and how everything's going to happen and what's going to happen. I bet you every single person here, we could come up with a little bit different view of what's going to happen, or when it's going to happen, or where it's going to happen, or who it's going to do, and all that kind of stuff in that area. There's yeah. some areas we're going to be a lot more clear on as far as salvation or different things like that. But that's the place where those divisions come from. That's the place where unity will come from. That's what the pastors are there for. That's what the apostles are there for, the, the teachers, the preachers. Those that we have there is to help us to come to that unity. That's why it's such a responsibility for pastors and teachers and preachers to be grounded in the Word of God and to teach the Word of God and to, to help us to grow together in that unity. It's wrong for teachers and preachers and apostles to bring division into the body of Christ. We're supposed to be bringing unity. And I'm not talking about an ecumenical thing where we just all hug and everybody's okay and everybody's going to heaven. It has to be according to the Word of God. And it has to be all of our goal and it has to be where we're going. And how many of you know that there's no perfect pastor, teacher, all that. they make mistakes just like we do. They don't always do everything perfect or the way we think they're going to do. But just because they didn't do everything perfect the way we think they should or, or it's not the way we would have done it, doesn't mean that they're not the man of God that God has in that place and that we shouldn't sit under their leadership and that we shouldn't be part of what's going on because if God brings us into the church, he has a special place for us. And after all, the unity that we're going for is in the word of God. Our personalities may not have the same unity. Our, our, our speech may not have the same unity. Our, our actions may not all be exactly the same because we have different jobs. We have different places we live. We have different income levels. The unity is in the Word of God and in His Spirit and walking in that way. And that's what they are there for. It says in verse 14, For then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching by the cutting craftiness of man and their deceitful scheming. You see what makes us go back and forth? What makes us be flaky Christians? What makes us be uh, uh, on again, off again, up, down, up, down. One day it's good, one day it's bad in our lives. It's because we don't have that 
in our thought life. That the teachings start to draw us astray, and we don't, we're not founded in the Word of God enough, so we hear somebody talk, and it sounds good, and we go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And, and we start to talk to someone at the workplace that doesn't believe in God, and they start to give you their arguments, and you go, oh yeah, well that does sound good. That's a good question. Yeah, that sounds good too, you know. And we get, the devil comes in, and we start to get afraid to witness to people because we think, oh, I don't know the answer, and they, they sure did have some pretty good questions, and Satan starts to come in, he wins a victory in our lives, and how often do we go through weeks or months or years in our lives where we don't even want to go and witness to somebody or we're afraid on how to talk to somebody about the Word of God because we think they're going to know more than we do or, or some area where Satan comes in and he wins that victory in our lives in that thought life and we're tossed back and forth. When we hear preaching, we hear preaching on, on prayer and we think, oh yeah, i got to go pray. Oh, I gotta go. I'm going to pray. i got to set this time every day. I'm going to go pray 15 minutes a day. i got a certain time and a week later we go, oh, it's just too hard. Maybe I'll do it five minutes a day. You know, and then... I, and then, and then another, oh no, I really need to do it more, so I'm going to do it 15 minutes a day, you know. And, and we're getting tossed to and fro, back and forth, in our thought life, in our minds. Nothing's changed outside, but our thought life has changed, and it's gone astray. And, and that's the area where Satan will win a victory. That's an area where the fight is being fought. That's what our, our preachers are there for, our teachers. That's why that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word. That's why it's so important for us to come to church, to be grounded in a church, to be grounded in a local body of other believers. You know, sometimes we may come across something in Scripture and we, our thoughts start to go, you know, if we start to go in fellowship with other believers, they may help us if we're going astray. We may help them if they didn't know about it. There's that strength in the counsel of the godly. There's that strength, there's that unity that will come in, there's that, there's that correction that can come in, because, hey, you know, we can look back in our lives, and there's been times in our lives where we've thought things that later in our life we said, well, you know, that wasn't exactly what God meant there, you know. Well, that, that was a little bit off there. But if we have that unity, if we have that place where we're grounded, a church where we can have fellowship with other believers, a church where we can sit under the preaching of the Word, that helps us to, to stay on that right track. Look in Hebrews chapter 8. So going back to Hebrews again. We're almost there. I'm, I'm zipping through it as fast as I can. Yeah. We could do a whole series on this. These kids, they, they go through all these... Hebrews things. chapter 8, and I believe it's verse 10, is what I wanted to look at. This is God's plan. This is God's way of doing it. We talked about that sword that was coming in. This is what God wants to do in our lives. He's talking about a time coming when he's going to put a new covenant. We call it the New Testament. Uh, the um, Christianity really is what we call it. Verse 10, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See what God's plan is? To kind of change things around. What God's plan is in salvation, in the new covenant, in the new way of what he wants to do things, being transformed by the renewing of the mind. God coming and writing that law in our minds and in our hearts. God coming and, and putting that law inside of us now. Well, it's not an outward thing anymore. It's not something that we have to memorize anymore, but it's in our spirits, it's in our minds. It's, it's changing our thought minds. It's, it's renewing our minds. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus our Lord, Pastor talked about. Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself 
He humbled himself to death, even to death on the cross. Jesus had a mind of obedience, a mind of humility, a mind steadfast, 100% on God. He loved God with all of his heart, soul, his mind, and his strength. And that's what God's calling us for. And he's given us the way to do it. Through the power of the sword of the Spirit in our lives, through the preaching of the Word, by, by sitting under pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets, and all the different offices that God has, and, and we can again debate whether all those offices exist today or whether they don't or not. They do. But since the Bible says that they're there for us, I want to partake of them as much as I can. And He's established ways where He'd come with His Spirit and write that law in our hearts and in our minds. And that's what Christianity is all about. You know, sometimes we think about Christianity, oh, it's about salvation. It's about uh, life. It's about power. It's about victory. We think of all these things that Christianity is about. What Christianity is really about is Christ. Of being conformed like Christ. Having that mind of Christ. Putting on Christ. That's what Christianity is about. Having that relationship with Him. You know what the devil wants to do is he wants to change your mind about what Christianity is. He wants you to think that it just means that you go to church. It just means that you say a prayer. It just means that you uh, read the Bible once in a while or you sing a song once in a while or you pray. You know, Christianity is about having that close relationship with God with, with through the power of Jesus Christ to actually be able to know God. Not just know about Him. Not just sing about Him. Not just go to some place where they talk about Him. But actually know God. See, in your mind, the devil has tried to come in. Many of you here, he's done it in my life. And he's tried to tell you that it's something different than what it is. He's tried to tell you that your life is good enough just the way it is. You don't need more of God. He's tried to tell you that you're, you're, you're living a good life, you're a moral person. You don't need God. He's trying to tell you that all you need is a religion. And if you hold on to religion, that's all you need. And it's just fine. And you're doing dandy. And it's all lies from the devil. And in your thoughts, you think everything's going okay. But in reality, you don't have a close, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. The God that's made himself visible in creation. The God that's made himself known through this printed word that we can pick up in, in so many different languages and read. The God that sent pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists to give it to us, to teach us, to, to preach it to us, and we've heard it for so long. The God that sent people into our lives that have shared His love with us. The God that has touched us with His Spirit so much and He wants to have an intimate relationship with us. He, want, he wants us to be able to know Him even as we are known by Him. And that's what Christianity is all about, and that's, that's where the battle is being fought. And it's a daily battle. And it's a daily victory that we need to win as we stand upon the Word of God and as we stand up against the lies of the devil. We say, no, I want to know what the Word says. I want to know what God says. I want to follow His ways and His teachings. I want to be grounded in You, God. I really want to have a relationship with You. I don't want some empty shell of a religion that I'm holding on to just because I think it's okay. And in your spirit, you know that there's something missing. But your thought life has told you everything is okay. In your spirit, you know that there's some void there. There's some emptiness there. There's, it's, just, it's just not right. But every time your spirit's tried to come out and tell you, every time your spirit's tried to 
to draw you to the Lord, your thoughts have come in and said, everything's fine, don't worry about it. Your thoughts have come in and said, no, you've got enough. Just, just, just be a little more religious maybe, then it'll be okay. Maybe, maybe go to church a little more often. Maybe, maybe, maybe give something to plate this time. You know, you haven't done that for a while. Do that. You'll feel better. And your thought life has come in and it's robbed you of that close, intimate relationship that God wants to have with you. And today's a day when you can change that. Say, no more. No more. I want to have a closeness with you, God. I want to know you. And the opposite end of that, you can be serving God, you can be loving God, and your thought life come in and try to steal it from you and say, you can't do anything for God, you're useless, things aren't going the way they're supposed to, it's supposed to be better than this. The, the whole modern gospel today talking about, oh, just, just accept Jesus and your life will be so much better, you'll have, you'll have so much more happiness in your life, and everything's going to go good and you won't have any problems. But Jesus said there's going to be adversity in this life. It's going to happen. But see, His power is going to be there to bring her through. And so your thought life has told you nothing's going right, nothing's going good, nothing's happening, I can't do this, I'm, I'm too weak, I'm too sick. And He's got you to where you won't even do anything in the church anymore. He's got you to where you won't do anything for God anymore. He may have even got you at times in your life where you wouldn't even leave the house. Where you, where you wouldn't even go out and do anything in public, nothing, no social life, anything. Because in your thought life, you're so caught up. may have been in anger, bitterness, may have been in despair. We call it depression. may have been in depression. We get so depressed. Anxiety. You, know, you can have two people in the exact same situation. And one can be joyful and loving God and singing praises. And another one can be miserable and doing nothing. Same people, same situation. It's just a matter of their thought life. Where their thought life is. And Satan's won a victory, many battles in our lives because we've never realized how important our thought life is. We've never realized how important it is that when these thoughts start to come in that we immediately bring them into captivity. As a matter of fact, that's that... You know, remember how this battle started? Before the Garden of Eden, Eden even. What happened with Lucifer? What caused him to fall from heaven? Let, let me just read that to you once. I should have shared it with you earlier, but that's okay. We can put it in now. In, in Isaiah it says, How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the throne on the mount of the assembly, the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. See, he started to say in his heart, Did it say you were cast down because you started to do these things? No, it's when he started to say it in his heart. It's when his thoughts, his pride, started to exalt itself. See, he did the opposite. His mind was the opposite of Jesus. What was Jesus' mind? He humbled himself. He said, no, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to try to be this God like Satan did. But what did Satan do? He says, I will, I will, all in his mind. He said, this is what I'm going to do. Has he done it? No, it didn't work. But in his thought life, it's worked. In his thought life, he's just as good as God. In his thought life, he's just as powerful as God. In his thought life, he's going to be sitting on that mount of the congregation one day. That's why he's made so many mistakes along the way, because in his thought life, he thinks he's got this power to do it, when he really doesn't, and he's going to be brought down to the pit. And he's going to face that judgment. And often in our thoughts, that's where pride comes from, it's in our thought life. 
see, hear these guys brag, yeah, I can throw that ball, you know, 90 yards, you know. Get them out there on the field and see what they can do. Suddenly they can't do what they said they could do. Because in their, but in their thought life, they say, well, yeah, I can. I can. And it can lead us astray that way. Okay, did we all uh, get there to verse uh, chapter 10, verse 3? For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Actually, let me back up to verse 2. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standard of this world. You see what their problem was? They thought they could live by the standard of the world. In their mind they said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I can live according to the world's way of doing things. I don't have to have a different standard. Well, that's what saint is, being called out. It is being different. It is a different standard. So this is the problem they had. It was in their thought life tier. They thought they could live by the standards of the world. Sometimes in our thought life we compare ourselves by ourselves and we think, oh, so-and-so is not doing that good either, so I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm doing all right. We we'll start to compare ourselves by ourselves. That church is doing even worse than us, so we're not doing too bad. We don't have to do anything more. You know, That pastor ain't as good a preacher as me, so I don't even have to work any harder on my preaching. Uh, that person never prays. At least I pray once in a while. You know, I'm doing pretty... Start to judge ourselves by ourselves. That's not the standard we're supposed to use. We need to use Jesus as our standard. Then when we start judging, we go, oh, yeah, I guess I could pray a little more. I guess I could spend a little more time with God. Yeah, I guess I could uh, work on my pride. I guess I could work on, you know, we start to, using the standard of God. But here's where they thought. They thought they could use the standard of the world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world. Those weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolishing strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And, of course, in the um, King James, it talks about bringing uh, uh, weapons of warfare are uh, mighty to God, pulling on strongholds, uh, demolishing uh, thoughts, isn't it? Thoughts? Imaginations. Imaginations, thoughts, uh, arguments, reasonings. You know, Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. But when I became a man, I put away these childish things. See, some of the thoughts we have are childish thoughts. They're, they're thoughts of the old way of doing things. And these weapons that we have, the weapon we already talked about, the Word of God is mighty to God. They're pulling down the strongholds. And we can bring every thought into captivity. And that's what we're supposed to do. And I want to look at the final outcome of this. And don't worry, I'm closing. Pastor said, hallelujah. <laughs> he said, he's finally going to end. Well, see, I don't get a chance to preach that much, so i got to get as much of it in as I can. You'll forgive me. Second Corinthians six. Besides, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. You know what happens? We can sit under good preaching. I was reading a book by a guy that talked about this happening in his life. He sat under a preacher and he he said, "Hey, oh, this is such anointed preaching. It's going good." And then you know he was working in the church and he started getting closer to the pastor and he saw some flaws in his life and all of a sudden he's like, "Man, this preaching ain't good at all." And, you know, well, this pastor just ain't doing nothing right. You know. It was the same preaching. And when he got his heart right, the preaching got good again. When he got his heart right, all of a sudden, oh yeah, there's that anointing. I, I was wondering where it went. It was in his life. And we can do that in our lives. We, if we're in the place where God has us, he's going to get a message across to us through preaching of the word, even if we're visiting. Even if we're visiting. Because God knows what we have need of and he'll bring the message across to us. 
And so a lot of times that can be in our thought life. We think the preacher's boring or he's not any good or he's missing the mark. Sometimes it's our heart and our thought life that's missing the mark. Anyway, and the final outcome of this, and this is where I'm closing, so 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 10. Here's Paul talking about his life. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. You know, how many of you would answer an ad for a job like that? Wanted, apostles. Uh, job description. Uh, troubles, hardship, distress, beatings, imprisonment, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. All willing applicants, please. How many would you answer that ad? Anyway, that's just a side note. Anyway, that's, that's the kind of life Paul lived. We, we read about it in other places, the times he was beaten and stoned and uh, left for dead and shipwrecked and out in the deep in the ocean and all the different things that happened in Paul's life. What a wonderful life he lived. How he suffered for Christ. He goes on to say in verse 6, In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness, in the right hand and in the left, through, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Paul had not only one weapon, but he had weapons of righteousness, he said, in his right hand and his left. Why? He was speaking truthful. He was going in the power of God. His thought life was right. What was happening in his life? He would have some bad reports. He would have some good reports. What was he doing? He was still walking. I've ran the race. I've finished the course. He was staying on course. Was Sometimes they said it wasn't going the way it was supposed to. Sometimes they said it was going great. You know, no matter how good you think it is or no matter how bad you think it is, you're probably wrong. It could be worse. It could be better. You know, someone told me about preaching that once. He said, no matter how good you think you did or how bad you think you did, you're wrong. <laughs> it's probably worse or it's probably better than what you thought. And that's true. Anything, Pastor? <laughs> He's just laughing. He ain't going to say nothing there. Uh, wife might fill me in later. But uh, the wife's no. <laughs> but anyway, bad report, good report. But what did he do? He says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish the course. I got my eye on the prize. I'm not looking over here at what the report said. What if he listened to the reports? When they said it was really bad, you go, oh, my God, boy, I just can't do that right. When we say it was good, boy, God, I just I got it going on, God. I, I'm just doing it all right. Sometimes that's what we do, toss to and fro with our thoughts, thought life. Up one day, down the next, like a roller coaster. Bad reports, good reports. Okay, I'm going on. Genuine, yet regarded as imposters. So here he is, you're doing what you're, what's right, you're, 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 you're living a life, and you're trying to be honest and straightforward, and yet everybody can, oh, you hypocrite, you don't live like that, you just... What did he do? He just kept being genuine. He just kept doing what was right. He says, uh, no one yet regarded as unknown. I'd like to be known by God, have an intimate relationship with Him, and then people come along and say, who are you? What makes you think you can tell me about God, like you have some special relationship with Him? Ran into that all the time in the synagogues and the places you go with the religious leaders that 
Who are you to tell me about God? I know God. I got the Bible memorized. What are you talking about? Known yet regarded as unknown. Dying and yet we live on. Here he is dying and he talked about some of the things we talked about earlier. You know, the beatings, the imprisonments, the riots, the hardship. What is it? All these things, all this death in his life, all this destruction in his life, all this pain in his life. What do you say? Yeah, I'm going to live on. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to, I'm going to keep serving Jesus. I'm going to keep going forward. I may be dying, but I'm going on. I'm going to keep living. That life of Jesus, after all, without death, how can we even have life? Unless a grain of seed fall into the ground and die. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always Rejoice. It, who was it that wrote about rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. Who was it that wrote things like, you know, rejoicing in all circumstances, praising God in all circumstances? Wasn't, wasn't that the same guy? He said he was sorrowful, but yet he was always rejoicing. You see, his thought life was right. Even when pain was there, even when destruction was there, even when soul was there, even when affliction was there, he was poor. Yet he was making many rich. He didn't have anything. He wasn't wealthy. He didn't have a big mansion he could go through. He wasn't driving Cadillacs down the street telling people to send him a thousand dollars and God would send him ten thousand and doing all his different wealth and prosperity type stuff. No, he was poor. But yet he realized that he was making many rich. No, he didn't give him money. He didn't, didn't give him fame. He gave him Jesus. And he knew that they were storing up treasures in heaven. Yeah, we're still going, but I'm almost done. How you guys doing? People coming in the back for meal. And then he says, and this is, this is the key here, he says, having nothing, yet possessing everything. Why? Because Paul learned the key. He was content in whatever state he was in. There was times he had plenty to eat. There was times he went hungry. There was times he had his needs taken care of. There were times he had needs. There was times he was healthy. There was times he was beaten. There was times he struggled with thorns in the flesh. But what does he say? He says, yet, no matter what was happening, he was possessing all things. He was, he was content in Jesus. He was happy in Jesus. He had peace in Jesus. He had joy in Jesus. Because that's where his thought life was. He knew that he would preach the gospel, that he would share the word of God, that he had a close relationship with him, that the love of God was there, that nothing could separate him from the love of Jesus. It was famine, pestilence, angels, demons, uh, things present, things to come. Nothing could separate him from the love of God that was in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he knew that. He knew he was walking the path that God had called him to. He knew he was pressing on to the mark. He was forgetting all the things that were behind. And every day, like Pastor talked about this morning, the Good Companion series. Get this morning tape tonight. Listen to him. Good Companion series. One day at a time, moving forward and forgetting about the day before. Sometimes we spend our whole day thinking about something that happened last week or last month or last year or 30 years ago. And we're not even living in the present. Where are you? And what are you doing? Is the question tonight. Where are you in your walk with God? And what are you doing? Because it's going to be in your thought life. And it's time for us, as a nation, as a church, as the people of God, the one song we're working on tonight, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, in these last days, 
which most of us would agree we are in, it's time for us to get serious with our walk with God and start watching our thought life. Start watching it as it turns aside and start realizing where we are and what we are doing. There's some people, I even saw them in uh, Christian schools and stuff. They were always in sports. And they may have been sitting in the class listening to a lecture about the Bible, but they had their little sports page right there, and they're waiting for the next game, and they're checking out the scores from the game before, and their whole thought life was football and basketball and all these different things. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sports because it could be all different things. It could be good things. It could be your children and how they're doing and, and thinking good thoughts about them, but that's all you ever think about is them, and you're never thinking about Jesus. Your mind is not on Jesus. You're not serving the Lord. You're only thinking about all these other things in life, even good things. So the question tonight that we'll leave you with is, where are you? What are you doing? Where are your thoughts? Where are you going in your thought life? Here was Paul, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, yet he was always running a race, pressing on toward the mark, knowing that he would be able to say at the end, I've run the good race. I finished the course, he writes. Wouldn't that be great to be able to write that? Write a letter to someone, know you're getting towards the end of your life, and be able to say, I finished the course. <laughs> I ran a good race! It's a lot better than writing. I never, never got off the starting block. Hmm. Where was that finish line again? Where was I going? Was I, was I going somewhere? Tossed to and fro. Your thought line. Your thought line. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy in our lives, and I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the, your word. Thank you, Lord, for everyone here that has been patient through this message and considerate to the time that, that we've gone. And Lord, I just pray that in each and every one of our hearts, our minds, our spirits, that we will take this message in and that we will start to look at our lives and see where we are in our thoughts, where we are in our minds, what we are doing, and realize how easy it is to get distracted, to get led astray and start standing upon your word, start going out to you and submitting our minds to you, Lord, so that we can be transformed. Submitting our minds to your holy word so that we can come to unity. Being involved, Lord, in your body. Having Christian friends to fellowship with, Lord. Supporting our local congregations, Lord, with our love and our prayers. And I ask that you'll just bring that into each and everyone's heart and life. Bring joy, bring peace, bring forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to always think on those things that you would have us to think on. In Jesus' name. Pastor, if you want to come and close out the service. Our minds. And our minds would be Christ-like. Or it is. I... I think that we should, before we before we end, before we go down to have our birthday celebration for Clayton, I just believe that 
we ought to spend a few minutes finding a place of prayer. You can do it in your pew there around the altars. I think we need to just talk with the Lord for a few minutes and uh, just uh, ask Him. Maybe ask that question: Where am I? Where's my Where's my mind? Where's my mind been? What am I doing? With my mind, is it is it cleansed? Is it clean? Is it sanctified? Is it is it on the right course? Have I brought it into captivity? Let's let's ask the Lord, and, and perhaps uh, we we need to pray that He'll help us this week, beginning today, tonight, today, to uh, have minds that are controlled by Him. It's pure and holy, lovely. Let's, let's do Let's find a place to pray somewhere in the sanctuary. And, you know, when you're done praying, at least pray for five minutes or so. When you're done praying, just head down to down the stairs there for our time of celebration for Clayton. But let's, let's pray first.